You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, Never been that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins okay, so Podcast Network, Seth Never Levitt, DJ Preach is in the back, and of course, looking fresh with the new hat that I, I'm copping your style here, OJ McDuffie, Juice, how you feeling, man? Man, you know, Big Seth, I'm doing great, man. You know, anytime we get in the tank, you know, I feel about guys, especially guys on my side of the football, bro. Yes, you I know, know what I mean. So that's and how we got we a rough roll. run of defensive guys here for a while. It was ridiculous, man. I think you did that on purpose. <laughs> I think you did that shit on purpose, bro. You know what I mean? And I, you know, now we now we back on the right side of football, brother. <laughs> well, we had to keep you balanced. We definitely had to keep you balanced. <laughs> I also think this is cool. So we had years ago, we had the Pouncy Twins, yep. right? We had the Pouncy Brothers. And then we had Mike by himself, and we're kind of doing this in reverse. So we just recently had Brendan Yambadejo here, but now we got big bro, Oba Femi Yambadejo. Femi, welcome to the fish tank, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for reaching out. You know, it's interesting. I don't so – it's kind of funny when I think about the different teams that I've, that I've played for, right? And I'm sure that you guys know this, but I'm, I'm going to nuance it just for the record, right? Starting as a Minnesota Viking, I look at that as kind of like my, my uh, baptism by fire. I had to learn a lot. A lot of season veterans, 97, 98, 99 with the Vikings. And I was there, but I, I was there to learn. I, I didn't have an impact on that team. I didn't have all the confidence that I needed. Through a lot of winding roads and different things, I ended up in Baltimore, right? And then after Baltimore, going to Miami. And Yeah, I'm not sure how many, how many Dolphins are former Ravens, but um, that's the team I associate with. I don't associate with many other teams. I associate with guys like OJ, a pro's pro. I have, I have memories of OJ, which I'll talk about uh, as we go through this. But what I, what I love about that 2003 Dolphins team, and it etched and burned something in my mind, is that we won, ten, we won 10 games in spite of coaching. Not because of it, in spite of it, in my opinion. I don't know what, what OJ thinks. We had guys like Jason Taylor, obviously, you know, Zach Thomas. OJ is a veteran. You know, Ricky, Junior Seau. And I felt like that team, the core of guys – it's hard to say that I've ever been around a, a better group of guys other than that 2000 Ravens team when we won a Super Bowl. That that 2003 Dolphins team deserved much more than we got. And I've always remembered that. And that group and those guys have always stuck with me. That's great stuff. And actually, yeah. you know, I kind of yeah. had that oh, yeah. the interview. <laughs> no, but I mean, no, no, but we're here, right? And so yeah. you mentioned the fact that you thought that team deserved more and you played on a Super Bowl team. What, and I guess you kind of alluded to it, what didn't go right? What didn't go right in 03? Oh, man. I, I, have a, I have bad memories of Tennessee getting blown out in Tennessee. We just didn't show up that day. I have bad memories of a snow game in, in New England that was really close. And I think Teddy Bruschi got a pick six like in the fourth quarter. I think we ended up losing like 7-3 or something like that. Was that the game where they were playing the music and throwing the snowballs no, ex- in the air? Exactly. Oh, my that God. Was that game. Yeah. So yeah. there's a couple games where I feel like we didn't show up, but then, you know, we, we started out good early, and I feel, I feel like we – I remember smashing Dallas and smashing Philly, and I remember thinking, like, man, we got 10 wins, but we're not going to make the playoffs. And when I do an autopsy on that season, it's it's kind of wild when a, a leader – and I like Dave wants that as a, as a man. He's a good man. He's a good guy. But I've had Dennis Green as a head coach. You know, a few I've, had, times. I've had Brian exactly a few times. I've had Brian Billick as a head coach. 
you know, my 11 years in the league, I got to intern under John Harbaugh. I'd never been more beat up on a team than I was with the Dolphins ever. Hmm. I mean, training camp was was ridiculous. Like the amount of hitting that we did. Dave was an old school Chicago Bears, grinded out, pounded out, broken bodies, next man up. I just, that, that philosophy just doesn't work. And I came from a place in Minnesota and Baltimore. So I see that spark in that that special thing that Denny Green had as a human, as a coach, as an African-American head coach, that's the guy that I look toward. How many Denny, Denny Greens are out there? Not many, obviously. Brian Billick was a technician when it came to executing a game plan, giving guys rest. He was so good about that. Yeah, yeah. And I understand exactly what you're saying there, Finn, because honestly, I, I think even back then, you could tell that, you know, the, the Brian Billicks and the, you know, and the, and the Denny Greens were ahead of their time. You know, there were different ways of doing things back in the day. You know, I know that San Francisco and, and, the, and, the, and the Bill Walsh family did the kind of same attitude. Yep. Whereas the Jimmy Johnsons and the Dave Wansets were college-like with the pounding. We, we went 14 days straight with Jimmy in pads, in training camp. Nobody would ever do that again, man. You're not going to ever, you know, it's, it's like, you know, wh- why are you trying us as men when we already know that we are men? And Seth, you know this, by the time we got to, especially with Jimmy, when we got to the playoffs, we'd already just played a playoff game right. out in Seattle. And we came back and got in pads in the playoffs on a short week. Yeah, You know what I mean? So that philosophy, it, it, it was archaic. Yeah. It was barbaric in my opinion. Yeah. Honestly, I mean some of these uh, some of these other coaches have figured it out. I think our new coach now, Mike McDaniel's figured that out. I got a story for you. I got a story yeah, for you. I, I, I can't wait to hear yeah. that too, man, but I'm I think you're right, it. man. Yeah, yeah. I can't hey, wait you to know hear what? that too. Yeah, the hell with the schedule. Let's have let's do this. I we'll am make ready. It work. What's roll. the story? Yeah, so real quickly, I'll say this. To answer my own question from first and, and Juice, I agree with you hundred. I was thinking, how many former Ravens that are former Dolphins? My brother. <laughs> yeah. My brother, that's there you go. There's there's another you get you know, it in the other order. Yeah, exactly. He yeah, yeah. I, I got my ring and came to Miami. He came to Miami and then got his ring later, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Back in Baltimore. But um I think that um what's interesting, speaking about Denny Green, you know, I played twelve years actually 13 seasons of football and you know 11 of those were in the NFL. I played one year in NFL Europe as a allocated Minnesota Viking to the London Monarchs and I played um, in the United Football League. I, I got a knee surgery and I wanted to come back and play one more year so I could maybe finish the season with an NFL team. I ended up playing for Denny Green again for the California Redwoods. My running backs coach was Mike Mike was the running backs coach. Get out of here. He was, he was my team. running backs coach. Wait, so was John David Washington on that team as he well? He was. was John David same? Washington was on that team too. Wow. He was a running back. Yeah, so John I David missed Wa- that, Juice, in the research. Yeah, that I was two. Th- hey, so, you know what, hey, Seth, I probably buried the lead and I probably cut you off by starting to talk without you kind of going. I'm sure you have an intro that I just No, I'm, you got us to where we need okay, to be. Okay, cool. All right, good. So, you know, I think, uh, so my rookie year was 97. I officially retired in 2010. I played for Mike McDaniel in 20, in 2009 as a California Redwood. You know, there was a, f- a couple former running backs in that room with me and uh, John David Washington. Uh, Denzel came to a couple games actually, which, which was pretty cool. And Mike was one of the younger people in the room. You know, the, the, some of those, he was, he was, he was younger than me. You know what right. I mean? At that point. Right. You know, I'm in my, I'm in my thirties. He's in his late Maybe mid twenties at that point. How old is he now? <laughs> I think he's like thirty nine. Yeah. Thirty nine, yeah. Thirty nine yeah, yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. So, so that was two thousand nine, <laughs> right? So you, you know, he was in his early mid twenties at that point. And you know what? At a certain point, you just forgot about how old he was. He just knew football. He understood the 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 Kubiak zone 
uh, outside zone, zone run blocking scheme. You know, Denny put his spin and brought the, you know, uh, and OJ to piggyback on what you said earlier, Denny Green is from the Bill Walsh tree, right? So Denny Green brought that West Coast offense. Coach Kubiak runs a West Coast offense with that outside zone uh, scheme, play action, boot, bootleg stuff. And Mike helped us learn all that stuff. And one of the reasons Denny handpicked him was because I'm not sure who, who stood on the table and said, you need to hire this young guy because he's, he's got a brilliant mind. But Denny did it, and Denny listened to him. He would be teaching grown coaches and grown former NFL guys about Coach Kubiak's zone run game. And mm-hmm. he led the room, and, he, and you just forgot how old he was, and you just listened to him talk. And it's crazy to watch him now because he's ex- the exact same dude. He has not changed. So it's pretty amazing. That is great to hear. That is man. so good. And I didn't yeah. even realize, you know, I didn't even put two and two together. I was, yeah. golly, I can't believe I missed that. But that is great stuff. You don't miss much, that. Big Seth. You, you don't I, miss well, much, well, man. But that, yeah, Femi, Femi on, brought dude. that home nicely with, you know, that connection right there. That's yeah. outstanding. He did. Well, Femi's always got my back. And so I'm going to go back to, to that 2003 season. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was in 2002 when he first came to camp with us. And my whole thing, because, you know, Harvey – uh, as Harvey told me day one, I'm Jimmy's PR guy and Danny's PR guy. So I, you know, a lot of the other guys, especially guys who came in as free agents, I would build that relationship. And I wanted to know how to pronounce guys' names. I'm a guy who everyone has spelled my name L-E-V-I-T-T my whole life. I hate that damn extra T. They could keep that extra T. I don't want that extra T. And so you got to be able to pronounce guys' names right. So then Femi comes in and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I got no shot. I have absolutely no shot. And so Femi, you told me how to pronounce it. You say, hey, you can call me Femi, but it's Obafemi. And is it Ayama Dejo or Ayama Dejo? Joe. Joe. Okay. And that's so that was the one thing I guess yeah. uh, after all these years I was getting wrong because, uh, you know, Brendan corrected me when we just had him on the show. But he was like, wow, you got it pretty good. I said, your brother taught me, man. Your brother <laughs> yeah, taught me. So right. by the time you got there, I knew how to pronounce it. It's funny because I think being mixed race, people think we're all the things that we're not Polynesian, yeah. Brazilian. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, I'm Irish and Nigerian. The name is Nigerian. It's not Latino. So don't don't say Ayan Badejo. Don't say Ayan Badejo. It's just Ayan Badejo. It's just, it's, that's it. You know, you know what I'm saying? But the thing <laughs> is, is that I know how, um, how much stress, you know how many TV guys, announcers, just folks in media have come up to me over the years about my name. And I try to be, I try to show a lot of grace because I know that John Smith is, you know, John Smith is easy. There's a whole lot of John Smiths out there. There's not a whole lot of Obafemi, Devin, Ayan, Badejo's out there. I get that. No. Well, I try, and, and the thing is, I want to be nice with these guys, too, because I do want them to say my name when, when appropriate. And right, if they right. say my name, they might avoid saying my name, and I might make a play. It might be my time to shine. I might, I might get a chance to do something. Let's, let, let's, let's build a relationship here, right? So, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek there, but I have, I have grace, and, and, I, and I am um, empathetic to people that, you know, don't ha- typically have to say Nigerian names. But check it out, though. Think about how many guys, going back to Christian Okoye, how many Nigerians are in the game now. It's wild. So many Nigerians yeah. in the game now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see that trail that he blazed and then to see how many young first and second uh, generation Nigerians. I mean, even the Ravens have a number of Ni- – Ojabo's a Nigerian. You know what I'm saying? Adafe Owe is Nigerian. I'm not sure how many uh, Nigerians the Dolphins might have. They've got they, they've got to have a couple. Yeah, I, I don't know currently, but we had we had a, a really good run because we just had Aiken and yep. we called him Adele. Yeah, but he, yeah. he said he learned it's Ayudele, and then we had your brother, now we have yourself. Yep. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great run. But I want to talk about the first name for a minute here because I was like – Brendan, how come you're Brendan and he's Obafemi and he gave us this whole story about leaving Chicago. He said, I left gangs for granola 
and that he thought it was easier to go with Brendan. But you kept your yeah. your, for your Nigerian given first name. I did because I think that he was um, he was nine, and I think that it doesn't sound like a big difference, but the difference between being nine and being ten or eleven is actually a big difference. Yeah, it is. And huge. I, it's yeah, huge. yeah, and I think that for me, I tried to go by Devin, which is my middle name, and it just didn't feel right. Like I didn't mm. like it. Just like Devin, who oh. Me, oh Devin, oh nah, I'm like, nah, we're gonna stick with Femi. You know what I'm saying? Like, because, and, and and the cool thing is, like, once yeah. once people make their little funny jokes, and you know how kids can be cruel, especially back in the in in the you know in the '80s growing up, where it was right. You know, we didn't, hey, we didn't, we didn't give a damn. We said it was no holds barred. You no say whatever, barred, right? right? Kids now are yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, kids now are a little bit better, but kids now also there's so much more diversity in names, and and parents are going out of their way to choose unique names. And there, there's just, just a exposure. lot more people from a lot more places now too, especially in sports. So yeah. it's kind of cool for me now where there are people that have far wilder names than me at this point. You know what I mean? And Femi being two syllables and pretty simple, I think I think we can get by with that, right? Worked out for you. Yeah, yeah, no yeah it did. About it. Yeah. You know what, Femi, something else that, you know, Brendan mentioned that really, I mean, Seth and I really found this very interesting is that, you know, he looked up to you not only as a big brother, but as a father figure, man, in the house. Did you feel that weight growing up? That and, and and what does it mean to you to hear that now that that's how you felt about the, the, your upbringing with him? My brother's my day one, man. Like, yeah. I can't say that anybody has been around me my whole life other than him. There's been times when my mom wasn't around. There's been times when my dad wasn't around. Times when my stepdad wasn't around. Uh, it's always been me and him. And, yeah. you know, being the oldest of three, I took pride in being a leader. I took pride in cooking and doing laundry and cleaning the house. And just, it was, it was hardwired in me. You know what I mean? It's just how I am. I still to this day. And I, and I, I didn't plan on doing this, but if we walk into my room in my condo here, my bed's made like every day. There's no, I don't got one dish in the sink. My fridge is immaculate. My oven, my microwave immaculate. I'm just one of those people, you know, I just, I need things. And I, I probably got a twinge of OCD, like legit, but, <laughs> Maybe. but it's, it's a good it's, OCD right no, there. It's, it's a good yeah, OCD. It served me well. It served me well. And it's, yeah. it's kept me disciplined and where people find angst in regiment, I lean into it. I find peace and where people get uncomfortable with things that can be erratic or unpredictable. My routine doesn't change. It doesn't matter where I, where I am. It doesn't matter who I'm around. I have a way of, uh, of going about things, analyzing, dissecting, and deploying a strategy. And that's the one thing that I'm so proud of that my brother has probably taken from me is that he's watched me execute and be predictable. I think as a, as a team member, as a parent, as a spouse, as a leader of an organization, as a CEO of a company, I'm a CEO of two companies, I never want to be unpredictable. I always want people to know exactly what the fuck they're going to get. Because the minute I start being unpredictable, everything I'm associated with becomes unpredictable. I'm the leader. And if you can't count on me to do my shit right, how the hell can I ex expect anybody that I represent, teach, taught, live for, am example to, how can I expect them to do anything right? And so that idea and concept that, once again, just luck luckily was born, I was born with it. My brother wasn't necessarily that way, but he didn't have to be. I was kind of like a shield. I would come up with a game plan. He would build on it and maybe do it better sometimes, actually. But the foundation was what I laid out. And then as we've gotten older, we've come, a, we've become a lot more um, partners now. Like when when his kids are with me, it's like him being with his kids, and vice versa. When, when my kids are with him, I trust him in one hundred percent to do everything to to tell them what to do, and they, they better listen too. And I 
just seeing him evolve as a person and as a human and his success speaks for, speaks toward that. And that goes back to us being five and six in, the, in projects in Chicago on welfare and food stamps and, you know, in a, in a roach infested environment with drugs being sold around us. And we found our way to, to continue to rise above that. And that takes discipline and that takes a strategy and that takes a good example. And so there have been great coaches and great people that I've pulled different pieces from along the way. I've never pity, felt pity for myself. I've never played a victim role. I've never complained. I just always try to look for an exit strategy and how to continue moving on an upward trajectory with an upward slope. That's kind of always been the mission. Sounds like it was a good mission to follow. Yeah, man. buddy. And, uh, and you guys both carried it out well. It's really cool. And not all siblings have that, by the way. It's not like, well, of course, they're brothers. Yeah. There are there are people who have siblings that they wouldn't trust, you know, their enemy with, let alone their children. I don't I don't think you can be more similar than he and I are and not be twins. It's almost even our mannerisms. Like if you see us walking like I'm an inch taller than him, but Generally speaking, like if someone's if I see him walking, I'm like, damn, that, that looks kind of like me walking. Like, you know what I mean? like, <laughs> put the mirror you know, up. Like people even say that sometimes. Like, or people, you know, people still call him me or me him. Well, when you guys were in the locker room together in Miami, forget about it. It yeah. took a minute to figure it all yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> that was notorious for messing that up. <laughs> Man, they would mess up some names to begin. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's too funny. All right, so look, uh, obviously leadership was was in your DNA academics was also clearly impressed upon you and your yeah. brother and your family and your youth. And I want to get into how that's impacted a lot of what you've done in, in your post-playing career. You know, clearly it was a big part of the Ayamadejo um, uh, household. Following high school, you attend, how's it pronounced? Cabrillo College? Cabrillo Junior College, correct. Okay, Cabrillo Junior College. And you played football and baseball. I did. And then you transferred to San Diego State, yes. football. And then, you know, we're going to get into the whole grind. Baseball, but, Big Seth. Baseball, well, Big yes, Seth. Yes, I know. Another two-sport star here for Juice. He loves talking about some baseball. <laughs> Not the baseball guy here. But my question is, as important as academics were, was – playing in the NFL or playing in major league baseball, like was, was that the dream you were tracing the whole time or was it, I'm going to get an education. I've got these other dreams and sports are what I'm going to do. And if it works out great, it works out. But like, I, I'm just trying to understand where that call it a work-life balance yeah. now, but I would say that if you asked me and I remember coaches that I've had telling me these stories, they would ask me like when I was like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, my little league coaches would confirm this and my flag football coaches would confirm this if you asked them this question. What did Femi say when you asked him if he's going to be a pro athlete? He'd say, yeah, in two sports. Okay. I would say that. You know what I mean? And then as I got older, and one of the things that's different about me is that I was a 16-year-old senior in high school. Like my senior year, and I, I, I balled too in football and baseball, but I was young. You know what I mean? I turned 17 before I graduated. And the reason why I was so young is because I skipped fourth grade. Double promotion was a popular thing in private schools in Chicago. I, I think it's the worst thing you can do for a kid. And I think the way that schools now do it, they just move a kid up within his grade to, or, or his or her grade so they're still with their peers. But they just, right. they just challenge them academically within the confines of their grade. I think right. it, was, it was silly to move me up. And I think it caused some developmental stressors that I, didn't, I probably should have been shielded from. But in the 80s at that time, I don't think people were thinking the way they think about psychology and, and uh, adolescent development the way they do now, right? So, so when I left Santa Cruz High, I basically went and got a job. And for a minute there, the dream seemed real, real far away, bro. Bros, brothers, it seemed real far away. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even in school. I didn't even have a scholarship. How could I be walking around saying I'm going to be a pro athlete, right? So there was a while there where as a young kid, when I was destroying everybody in all these little rec leagues and stuff, I did really, really well in high school, but I was just really young. And then the dream became silent and I kept it in my chest and I kept it in my head, but I didn't talk about it. 
And then as I took that year off and I grew an inch and I gained 20 pounds and I worked in a retirement home and I just had a gym membership, I was on Groundhog's Day. I just went to the gym. I went to work. I went to the gym. I, went to, I did that for a year. Can you imagine what that does for you when you're 18 now and you've been out of high school for a year? You had a real job. You were riding a, riding a bus to work and just going to the gym. And your number one focus was getting a Division One scholarship. And you didn't care what sport, either football or baseball. Hence the fact that I played football and baseball at Cabrillo. And as I found my groove and as I knocked the rust off in my freshman year of both sports, all the schools started recruiting me. Baseball scouts, the Division One school. I think the first letter I ever got was from either Louisville or the University of Kansas. And I was like, oh, they know, they need, they see me. They see who I am. Okay, this is, it's about to be on, right? Then the dream just kindled up a little bit. And I, I didn't talk about it because I wasn't in a position to. I wasn't even like, I mean, you talk about top 100, top 200, top 300. I mean, what, what would you put me? Top 5,000? I don't even know, right? Like there was no rank for me at that point, right? You're riding the bus. I'm riding the bus, yeah. right, exactly. But I knew what I had and I knew what I could do. And when I got to Cabrillo, it was like a monster was unleashed. And I carried that energy and I kept that same energy at SDSU. And I was actually going to play baseball at San Diego State. And Ted Toner, who was my head coach, said, there's a bunch of NFL scouts that are wondering who number nine is with the visor. And we had a really good team my, my junior and senior year at SDSU. Beat Berkeley, beat Oklahoma. One of the most uh, potent offenses, Oz Hakeem was on that team. Ephraim Salam, Kyle Turley. Uh, oh, wow. you know, George Jones, Will Blackwell. I mean, we had 10 of our 11 starters go to the league. Leroy Glover was on that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. So okay. we had a, we had, I mean, San Diego, we had a good team. And so when coach Toner said, look, if you don't make it, like, why don't you just do the pro day? See how you run, see how you, I mean, I'm going to work out well. I already knew that, but let's see what happens. And then you can just go back and play baseball. You, you still have three years of baseball eligibility left. So I went and did my pro day. Ran a four, five, seven, hit 225, like 28 times, you know, had a, caught everything, ran. So I ran routes as a running back, as a fullback, as a tight end. Cause at Cabrillo, I played like the slot and tight end. And then in the NFL, I was, a, I was kind of a tweener slash, you know, tailback, fullback. I could do kind of everything. And so the Vikings were the only team that end, ended up offering me a free agent contract, but that's all it took. It just took one, right? Just takes one. It's always something, well, it just takes one. And so, I never let go of the dream to get back to your question, Seth, about like, you know, did I believe I could do it? There was a time there where it got real dark and I, I didn't talk about it much, but it was in my heart and it was in my head and I held on to it real tightly. And as a 17 year old, I look back now, I'm 47 and I think, how the hell did I come up with this strategy to get a job, go to the gym, keep lifting, get stronger, save some money, be quiet, be humble, have character. And I knew I would prove myself. No one believed in me. I had people telling me, you didn't, you're not going to school. Like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, you're never going to go back now. I'm like, no, I got a plan. 17 year old telling grown people, I got a plan. Right. I got a plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I did. I, and I executed my plan to a T and my brother actually executed the same plan. But instead of going to San Diego state, he went to UCLA. And instead of playing, <laughs> instead of being at Cabrillo for three semesters, he was at Cabrillo for two semesters. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like he he just has a knack to just kind of see what I do and then go, okay, well, I'm going to do it a little bit better because I watch <laughs> it. I'm going to do it a little bit better. I know so, the plan is good, but yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to one up. Right? Right? And, and the cool thing is, is that because I put myself in that position, by the time my sophomore year was over, I had a number of different opportunities. And a lot of that came from just self-belief, um, you know, executing a plan and, uh, kind of all she wrote at that point but that that thought process from Santa Cruz High to Cabrillo to San Diego State to the Vikings 
I still deploy a lot of those strategies in, in what I do now. I mean, it's technically industry agnostic in a way, right? It doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, having a plan. Wait, 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 wait. Go for it. Say that again. Industry agnostic. <laughs> oh, that's like, man, that's a big word like mayonnaise. Yeah, there you go. That's like mayonnaise. Yeah, exactly. Damn, so, okay, okay. Yeah, my, 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 my point is, is that when you have a good plan, it doesn't matter like what the desired outcome is because right. having a strategy, stay in the course, being rigorous, being disciplined, that always works. That's that's always a good part of a plan. And so what I'm saying is, is that I think that as a young kid, I was already stress testing what I thought were good methodologies and strategies for success. And a lot of it was observing and just self-belief to some degree and luck, luck and support from amazing other people's moms and dads that helped me coaches that didn't have to help me that helped me. So let me not forget about those people because without those people, I I'm nowhere. You know how many moms and dads took me in, fed me, gave me clothes, gave me money, helped me do things. I mean, countless. It's I can't even name them all. You know, for me, it's so funny you say that because I had a call last night. One of the guys I grew up with, I spent every single summer with him and his uh, family. And the mom that I grew up with with them, you know, has passed about a decade ago. But the dad wanted to reach out and talk to me. And those people have no idea how instrumental they were in my development or just in my life in general, because I spent every single summer playing baseball with their son, but I was at their house every single day as well, you know? So anytime we had to go on road trips, anytime we had to go to the park, anytime we had, I rode with them. My mom was, my hell, my mom was super young and working. You know, my, my grandparents were super young. I mean, they were working, but you, you don't forget about those other people that, that extended family that helps you along the way. And so I had a great conversation with the dad and it was just amazing to even reminisce about all those people that were there along this journey that, you know, that led us to where we are, where we, where we were and where we are now, man, it's, it's pretty amazing. And what I do now and what I love now is whenever I can pay it forward, if my kids have their friends over, I got it. I never ask parents for anything. If, if my daughter has friends over, I cover it. I never, I'm never going to ask parents to pay for their kids stuff for a meal or to go out for a day, to go to a movie, to go to a game, movie, I'm gonna, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover all of it because I had so many yeah. people cover for me for so long. It's not even a thought. I'm like, no, your kids are with me. I got it. I don't want any money from you. Cause I had all the, I had parents taking care of me when I didn't have a penny in my pocket, never asked right. me for anything. And I'm, I'm going to take care. And I, even though you have money, I know you're good. You like, you're good. It's not about that. It's about something for me. I need to do this for me. Exactly. Right. And I'm not sending my kids with money either. So when I come, when they come to your house, <laughs> I don't you. expect them to be. I got you. Well, now you know, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Fabi, I, I, I love all this, man. And this this really is like, I think that's pretty much the bread and butter of like a lot of guys that, you know, are in the league, in, in the leagues, have, have these other families that, you know, that they kind of foster families. But as this is a Dolphins-focused podcast, you know, we have to jump into some, some fans talk. Let's do as it. As we do, you know, and, and I know we've talked a little bit about what was going on, man. But we, we can't skip over this remarkable journey that you had, you know, I mean, from going undrafted as an undrafted free agent to a Super Bowl champ in four years, man. So let's talk about that part of the journey as well, man, because damn, I mean, your brother really talked about how, you know, all the prowess he had at UCLA, we talked a little bit about, and then having the same type of deal, but then had to, you know, getting to go through all these different things to get to where he was later in his career, all the different leagues, Europe, Canada, and then finally get to the Dolphins. Talk about your journey a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think that I, I, I look at our 
the the mountain that we have to climb as athletes, I look at very similar to the mountains that actors and singers have to climb. All artists have to climb, right? Or entertainers, I should say. I think the ones that are willing to stick it out, sleep in their car, do whatever needs to be done are, are the ones who kind of, you know, character is, is rewarded. You know what I'm saying? Character is rewarded in the long run. And I just think that I have, I stuck with it, even though I got cut and brought back, I got put on the practice squad. I got cut, I got activated. I got put on the practice squad. I got cut. I got brought back again. I'm not even exaggerating. You know what I mean? Like this stuff all really happened. And a lot of guys after two or three times, they just say, I don't have the heart or the, or the will or the mind to continue to get kicked to the curb and then brought back when something goes wrong. That's the nature of football. I mean, think about how many guys uh, didn't make it on the first go round that were late round draft picks or undrafted free agents. And they end up becoming pro bowlers. You know, my brother's a perfect example. And so for me, I had the ability to just hang on long enough, you know, and I never thought about giving up. I just knew that if I got another chance, I could do it. If I just got another chance, I could do it. You know what I mean? And I just kept believing in that. I also continued to go back to school throughout that whole time. You know what I mean? Like I never gave up on, I mean, I didn't leave SDSU with my degree. I don't think I got my degree to 2001, maybe. Like I I would go back every spring and I would take a class. And there was something cool, which I think we can pivot to later, that I knew my education would be valuable down the road. And I knew I would be a lifelong student, like legit formal education, lifelong student. And I think that what allowed me to stick or make it eventually was that I earned respect from guys like John Randall and Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Danny Green, obviously, Coach Billick. They just saw like, this guy won't die. He's like a cockroach. You know, we tell him what to do. He learns it. We, we got to keep him. He knows our system. He knows everything. He's a fast learner. He can play three different positions. Like, come on. And he plays special teams. Like we, this, and he's cheap. I, I made myself valuable. And so that, that kind of thesis and that cons, that those concepts, that's what really allowed me to stay. And eventually my confidence caught up with my ability to learn and my talent. Cause I don't, I don't think you can be successful without being confident. You, no matter what people tell you, you decide how good you are until the absolute end of the, like the last, the 99th second, you know, up until there's a hundred seconds in this up until the last second, you believe you can do anything until you, until you can't, until I can't do it. And I know that I can't, there's nothing telling them. I don't believe I can't do it. And I think that just that confidence and that grinded out mentality is what really allowed me to kind of hang in there and, and keep going. And I think that, you know, once you get past a certain point, you know, probably like year three, you know, if you get year three, you should probably get at least six at that point. You know, that, that's my philosophy, right? You make yourself valuable. You, you, you build some relationships with different coaches around the league. You learn different systems. I think those, those things had a big part and big role in me just sticking uh, OJ and, finding my way and, and, and kind of, you know, having that kind of longer career. Yeah. I like that. I like that, you know, three years and then you can, you figure it out and you know how to, you know, you know, the system, you, you know what coaches and, and, and teams are looking for at that point and you know how to stay in the league, right? Staying in the league is the hardest thing for a lot of guys yep. and, and leaving the league is even harder for a lot of these guys, man. But you know, once you, once you figure that part out, you know, then you can get those extra years. Some guys, Mess it all up, don't they, Femi? They, they like, you know, they they eat those three years up, don't learn anything, don't do anything special. You know, next thing you know, they're wondering why they're not, they don't have a job. But you talked about how you played all these positions, learned all these positions, played special teams. That makes you invaluable when you look at a 47-man roster. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, um, and OJ, you, I know that in the locker room, when we're by ourselves, we talk about this thing I'm about to, I'm about to drop on you guys right here. 
Think about how many guys out drink and out eat themselves out of the league. Yep. Guys yep. that came in hungry or guys that were so gifted, so young, they never knew what grinding or working hard was. They their first round picks, second round picks. They oh like oh I got to work hard. Oh yeah, wait, you gotta watch those first round picks, Femi. Yeah. Sometimes it here we do. Femi, <laughs> Femi, he talks about me all the time, man. He hey, has to get that shot in every I time he gets all. a chance. I didn't say uh, all. I every said, time he gets a shot, Femi, he takes it at me, man. You know what I mean? It's, sorry, it's amazing. Sorry, I, I, mean, I still love him to death, but you know, it's, that's it's how a show. It it's a show time. of love. But you know what I'm saying yeah. though? Like you know, some guys yeah. they 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 never figure out that, oh, this is a job and this takes work and it takes consistency. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of guys that come in highly touted, eat, drink, or don't want to learn a playbook, don't want to understand concepts, don't want to understand the details. You know, like what you did in high school and college is not going to work here. And so I I think that that's the mistake some of the guys make. They don't, they're not professionals. And the thing that I prided myself on, whether it was learning Norv's offense or whether it was learning uh, Coach Billick and Denny's offense or whether it was learning, you know, the different offenses I ran across uh, in NFL Europe, and then obviously in a in the UFL, it was a hybrid offense. A lot of it was Denny's offense, though, still too. So, I think the thing I always want to impress upon a coach and a position coach and a coordinator is that, oh, I know the system already. Go ahead, ask yeah. me. Like I know, yeah. I know where the checkdown is. I know where I'm supposed to be in pass protection. Because as a running back, and I did a lot of three wides, a lot of single back stuff. Not so much in Miami, but everywhere else I I was, I did. We had, we had some pretty good backs in Miami, actually. You know what I'm saying? So I always wanted the coaches to know that in a pinch, you could throw me in anywhere from slot to slot, and I could I could do it. I knew it, I knew the route tree. I knew exactly what I had to do. I understood all the motions. I understood all the complementary stuff. And damn sure, I'm not going to let the quarterback get hit. Like in pass protection, you right. got a solid guy on third down that can do it. And so I found out how valuable those those features were for coaches, and I leaned into it. Speaking of these Dolphins, we are going to talk a little Dolphins here, Juice. Uh, even though, as you said, it was kind of a blip on the radar of your the entirety of your journey. Yeah. Clearly, there were some lasting memories there. And one of them to me has to be, well, look, so actually you, you sign here in July of 02. You go through a whole training camp. You get to like the last cut, September 1st. I was the last person, literally. You were the last guy. Yeah. The last guy they call upstairs yep. and, and they tell you it's not going to work Did Stu come out. to you, Femi? Was it Stu? Man, honestly, I don't know who it was. I just, yeah, I just, right. I just yeah. blacked out because I was like, "There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. they're going to cut no me." Doubt. I mean, no I had a no hell doubt. of a training camp. I, I just, yeah. I had, I did all the work I could do, and obviously, them bringing me back kind of just co-signed on so, that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly anyway, right, exactly you know. right. And, and so that's what I want to ask you. You, yeah. you basically have to spend the whole year, I imagine, continuing to to stay in football shape, and then the season ends, and in January they bring you right back. Uh, but then a month later, maybe even three weeks later, after they sign you. They sign your brother. Yeah. What was that like to all that you had gone through all that he, and especially he hadn't even played on an NFL roster yet up to that point. And you guys get to go out there and suit up as teammates. He, he told us a great story uh, for those who are listening. Femi told us at the beginning, he said, I didn't listen to my brother's interview because he just wanted to hear all of this for yeah. the first time and, and not come in here uh, jaded in any way, but he said that one of his, you know, and he's won Super Bowl, he's, you know, been to Pro Bowls, but he said maybe his fa- one of his favorite memories of playing football his entire life was standing in the tunnel before the first game and he's getting ready, finally made an NFL roster, he's getting ready to run out there and he looks next to him and you're there right beside him and you guys are wearing the same colors. And like, what was that like after, even though you had played, you had won a damn Super Bowl. But here you are with your little brother, and you guys are suiting up as Miami Dolphins. Man, you trying to make me cry, bro? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm trying to get you yeah. too emotional. Yeah. 
Um, the, man. the Oprah moment, that Oprah moment. Yeah, I get chills thinking about it because I'll tell you guys a couple things about that. So when the Dolphins cut me, I knew it was a mistake. I think that the guys in the front office knew it was a mistake. They kept uh, Dion Dyer over me to have an extra back. And Dion, I, I, I like Dion. Dion's a good dude. But if you look at what I did over my career and, and what I did in 03, Rob ended up getting hurt. I ended up starting like the last half of the season. You know, I, had, I, man, I had some great games in Miami. I think one game I had seven catches. You know, another game I had five catches, a couple special teams tackles. I mean, I feel like I was always trying to prove myself. What I did was never good enough. You know what I mean? It just felt like that. And so it didn't detract from how, how I felt about the team. I still had a positive experience. And a lot of that had to do was because every day when I went home, my brother and I were roommates again. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we were sharing an apartment um, in Davie and we had each other. We had a routine. We had a workout routine. We had our favorite place we go eat at. You had a routine. He just was following well, it. Well, that's a good way to put it, actually. That's a real good way to put <laughs> Sorry, it. No, no, it's true. It was funny because that's the last time that we've ever really, you know, spent multiple months, weeks under the same roof. It's never happened yeah. since then. And it hadn't happened for years before that, probably. I mean, he lived in, in my house in, in uh, San Diego while he was finding his way a little bit, but I was playing in the league. I wasn't around a lot of the time. You know what I mean? He was trying to figure out I was right. gone. He had like five teams that were recruiting him. And I was like, come to Miami. I go, I, you, this can work for you. We could be here together. I think it can work. And he just trusted that. And slowly but surely, he was on the bottom of the roster and guys started getting hurt. Okay. And you know, Miami, you know how, you know how those training camps are. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Survival of the fittest, right? And a little bit of luck. And I watched linebackers go down. And my brother just kept going up the depth chart. And by the time we got to the end of training camp, him and I were starting on all the special teams. And guys had gone down. And he had already proved himself. I'd already proved myself at that point. I, I felt pretty good about my chances at, uh, at that time. And I remember us going down on a kickoff, probably the first or second game. And we converged on the, on the ball. Both of us I actually have it on tape. And we yeah, went, I want to see that. I, that's yeah, what I'm that's got to be it. I have a photo yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's amazing. And we're just going nuts. You know what I'm saying? And like it ended up kind of like we would make stuff up sometimes. And, and Keith, Keith hated when we would do this stuff. Remember Keith Armstrong, special teams coach? Keith Armstrong. He's like, can I tell you guys the trick? I tell you guys the trade? I tell you guys the cross? Okay, good, good job that it worked, but don't do that shit again. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was it was amazing. And, and I, I don't think in the moment I had the capacity to understand how special it was because I was just still that free agent, grinded out one day at a time guy. I was right. still, I, my, my, my lens and my focus was just right in front of me. Never looked up, never looked around. Because if I did for a second, I felt like I'd lose my focus and shit would get sideways at that point. But I love the fact that, we had that year together. And then we did end up in Chicago together for a little bit, but we were we both had kids at that point and we had separate apartments. So it wasn't it wasn't the same thing. But that year in Miami, man, special group of guys, a real good football team, a really, really, really good defense. Obviously, we we had our moments on offense, and that season for me will always be bittersweet. That's how that's how I characterize it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there were a lot of Honestly, a lot of missed opportunities in terms of the, the, the success that team could have had. But I, I mean, I can only imagine. I'm an only child, so I don't get the benefit of uh, loving how, you know, playing next to your brother and, and dominating teams like that. Or just, you know, just the picture we got of them, Big Sav coming out of the tunnel together 
You know what I mean? You look up and that both your names on the back of those jerseys, man. That's that's some special shit. So man. sweet. It really yeah. is, man. It really is special, man. You 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 alluded to it a little earlier about the running backs in the running back rooms, especially in 2003. So Joel Collier is your position coach. And of course, Love uh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And you were in there with, with Travis Minor and Charlie Rogers and, and a guy some people may remember by the name of Ricky Williams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they do or not. You know what I mean? Femi, do nah, they, they, don't, they don't remember. I'll, 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 help, I'll, help, I'll help remind them. You'll help, you'll help remember? Yeah. I'll help remind them. <laughs> you know, and, and I feel like that had to be a, a pretty cerebral room, but also a room full of unique personality. Absolutely. And I wonder what your relationship was with Ricky especially being two Cali guys. I know you're, you know, from, you know, from gangs to, to granola when you got to Cali, but you got two Cali guys, man. How was that, man? Man, I got, I got two great stories for you guys about Ricky. So when I was at SDSU, Ricky went to, I think Patrick Henry high school, which is in San Diego. So Ricky's from San Diego. So he, out of courtesy, I'm pretty sure took a trip to SDSU. I got to be one of his hosts, me and Will Blackwell. That's, oh, wow. so that's the that's very so first dope. time I met Ricky. He was a senior in high school. That's when I first met Ricky. So we already knew each other by the time I got to the Dol- by, by the time I got to the Dolphins and he was there. We had already remembered that time we had met and we had ran into each other randomly here and there. And so Ricky is a cool, just cool cat. Just such a genuine dude. He really helped me get set up in Miami because I, you know, my current background now and what I do after I retired, I'm a human performance expert. And a lot of that is nutrition-based, supplementation, mm. biohacking. Ricky was one of the first people that I ever heard talking about metabolic typing. And he actually got me, and there was a bunch of us. I think Zach was doing it. I think uh, I think uh, Junior was doing it. I don't know if Jason was doing it or not, but those guys and Ricky and I were definitely doing the diet. And we had this lady that did our blood work. We had people bringing our food to us. Ricky had his wife wow. cooking me food. Wow. You know what I mean? Like it was amazing. Ricky was looking out. We had ahead running of the back game. Night. Ahead of the game. Ahead of the game, right? Hey, we had running back night, and we went. I can't even tell you what we did on running back night, guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, you can, but we'll do it off. We'll do but it no, off. Yeah, the we, yeah, we can't do it. On, we can't do it on here because you can't even do that stuff now. Like nowadays, you can't even talk about that stuff. But uh, Rick, <laughs> and Ricky, Ricky would have the limo come get all of us. We did a dinner at Emeralds, and then we went out to the club, and it, we were just out getting it. You know what I mean? Having a good yeah. time, and Ricky just chill, yeah. just and you know, yeah. not a big drinker, but just would hang out and you know, just socialize and just be so gracious and kind with people. And I remember one of our last nights out together in Miami. He's like, yo, I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to go head out to Fort Lauderdale. And I don't remember the bar that we went to. He's like, we're going to go meet up with somebody. And I was like, who? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. And I'm like, why not? He's like, just because I I, I just want you to see. Dude, we were hanging out with OJ. OJ. The other oh, OJ. The you big OJ. Yeah. That's what I was concerned about. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like, what are we doing? Oh you know what I mean? And, and and Ricky was like, you know, I just know him. You know how it is. All these yeah. all these elite running backs know each other. We're hanging the out. Heisman guys. He's in the yeah, Heisman, Heisman family. guys. It's exactly. a Heisman, it's a Heisman, yeah. Heisman guy, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. I spent a, an evening at a bar with OJ and Ricky Williams. Mm. That was wild. And the funny yeah, thing is, imagine. the whole time, I just was like, just keep bringing me vodka sodas because I just need to keep drinking because I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I, I, It was just a random thing. But those are those are my two uh, my two Ricky Williams wow. stories. Great stuff, man. So, Femi, as you said, 11 seasons in the NFL. Uh, you played the season in the UFL as well. But the reality is, is at this stage of your life, football does not define you. And we have had this – Juice, we've had this unbelievable run of guests who – 
uh, are not only so bright, but after they retired, they went back and and they got their master's degrees. They're doing all these amazing things. Talk about your post-playing career journey that has taken you to John, Johns Hopkins University, yep. NASA. I'm reading about NASA over here. <laughs> and, and now the founder and CEO of your own company, Health Real. Just kind of fill us in on, on how you decided, okay, football's in the rearview mirror now, and now I'm going to dominate in another way. When I retired, I knew that I wanted to be in the fitness, wellness, performance space. And the best way to go about that, right when I retired, presented itself, in my opinion, with some high-level fitness experts in the San Diego kind of La Jolla area. And so I basically found a group of folks that had a part in training me when I was in the league. And they said, hey, we want to build our own fitness facility. You could be a co-founder. You could become a trainer if you wanted to. You could find out what you want to do in that space. And so we formed an LLC. I, I had a 35% equity stake in, as a founder of that business. And for five years, I basically, you know, I, I got my personal training certification. I got my nutrition certification. I mean, I already had a PhD in, in doing it for myself. Now, now I just had to have the certs to prove that I could do it as a business. And I went head on into that. And after about five years, I went through the NFL and I did um, a one-week uh, MBA immersion program, which happened to be at Stanford um, in 2012. Uh, when I left that program, I knew I wanted to get my MBA. And the yeah. thing that was keeping me up at night was that my kids were in Baltimore. I met their mom when I played for the Ravens. We were never married, but my kids were across the country. And I had to either go to Baltimore or they had to come here. And that really at my core bothered me because I didn't want them to not have me around when they needed me all the time. So I started, once again, Femi goes into strategy mode, okay? I wanna go back to grad school. I don't see myself training people on the floor for the rest of my life. What's the next thing? I started studying digital health technologies like Fitbit and Garmin and these activity trackers. And I started falling in love with data. This was right after I went to the Stanford program. And I said, you know what? I wanna get my MBA and I wanna do it at a, at a credible university that's gonna give me some cachet and show the business world that I take this very seriously. And that I'm, I, I am Femi, the former athlete, but it doesn't define me. And I'm willing to grind as hard as I did to, to play in the league. I'm willing to do that in my next career. So I looked at, I looked at Stanford, but Stanford wasn't in, in Baltimore. And also, ultimately, I landed on Georgetown, University of Maryland, Johns Hopkins, and George Washington. My brother ended up going to George Great Washington. Great universities. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Hell yeah. So I got into Hopkins, and it was a wrap. Once I got into Hopkins, I was like, I'm not going to – I mean, no other name, yeah. in my opinion, around here is going to have the cachet that Hopkins does. Plus, with the For School sure. of Medicine here and the School of Public Health, which are both top three in the world, I was like, I can immerse myself in this environment. I get to be a dad. My kids were – at that time, I think my, my son was six and my daughter was like seven – she just turned 18 the other day. So I think she's she Sagittarius. She's she Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Yep. Sagittarius. Let's, yeah. My son, go. my son, my son, Femi Jr. I, I kept the name going. He's a sophomore right now. He actually has, he has a track meet like right now, an indoor track meet, uh, but it's in DC. So I'm not, I'm not going to go to that. Him and I traveled a damn across the state of Maryland. During yeah, the, I know you have. <laughs> hey, hey, you track this summer. I'm like, nah, man, you got this. Your, your coach has got you. I'm going to, I'm going to sit on the side right now. But um, that's what I came back for. I came back to rebuild, re rebuild, and build cachet in the business industry, be around my kids. And I got to, once again, I got to reassociate myself back with the Ravens. I ended up doing some work for them in media and things like that. And while I was at Hopkins, I walked onto campus with the capstone in mind. I knew I wanted to build a digital health platform that really helped people understand kind of health literacy and really understanding what it means to have a behavioral change approach that's rooted 
in diagnostics and assessments and coaching and really having people help other people, health experts, meeting people that need help. And I started chipping away at different patents and how to use a smartphone and, and, and leveraging the camera on a smart device, creating different reports, things that were brick and mortar, costly, expensive things. I turned into uh, an assessment on a phone. And so I started partnering with NASA. I was able to acquire um, an algorithm from them through a, a program called Tech Partner, uh, Technology Transfer. That's a partnership program. And then I've also partnered with NASA on bringing in other athletes and running boot camps with NASA on helping other athletes like myself and NBA athletes, NFL, and Major League Baseball. And so I was the first athlete to ever do that with NASA, the first one to ever sign a tech transfer partnership agreement. And I've been a part of five other cohorts as a consultant, helping them and, and being a, a use case to show these athletes that someone's partnered with NASA and they actually got the IP and they're using it for something. And so yeah. with my time at Partnered Hopkins- with NASA. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm still grinding on some things with them. But one of the coolest things that came out of all this is that I've become a bit of a of an analytics uh, data scientist. And I've been working on some other projects that involve NFL predictive analytics on performance and with the mobile sports book gambling stuff being legalized, like really looking at kind of arbitrage opportunities. And so I'm looking at those details and those relationships and we're mapping all this stuff out. It's a rabbit hole. I'm trying to like, just give you guys a sliver. Cause if I start talking about it, it's going to be a half an hour of me talking straight. You don't want that. <laughs> That's the so, next episode. Yeah, exactly. So in general, what I'm saying is, is that I could never imagine that when I left San Diego, when I retired in 20, 2010 and I, I was on the, in my gym that I helped build, when I left that gym and I sold my house and I sold my business and if it didn't fit in my car, I left it and I moved back to Maryland, I never really understood what a great decision that was going to be for my family, for my kids, for me and the opportunities it would provide. So really happy that I made, I disrupted. It sounds like you did. It sounds like you yeah. had some understanding, right? Because you were doing, that was your motivation and maybe you didn't know the degree, yeah. but it sounds like you did have some idea. But think about this though. Isn't it the same thing I did when I was, when I left Santa Cruz High and I went to Cabrillo? Like I had a plan. I had some yeah. idea of what was going to happen. It's the same thing. I've been, I've been blessed. I, I've been lucky to meet um, some amazing people and California is amazing. And I'm a Californian. Like that's how I look at myself. I'm, I'm I, Santa Cruz and San Diego. Those are, those are like my, my home hometown a and hometown B, but had I not disrupted my own life and been comfortable, like kind of starting over again, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have these opportunities because these opportunities exist here. These opportunities don't exist in San Diego. And although it's beautiful there and it's comfortable and my mom is there, my brother's in LA, my kids are here and my life is here. And what I needed to do, I just had a feeling it was here and it, it has been here. Well, you know, Femi, I mean, that, that, that's such that's such great talk. And, uh, you know, we've taken up a lot of your time, I know, man. But <laughs> and, we, and, and honestly, we've had a, we've had a run of, of smart, driven guys who have gone back to school and but also a bunch of, you know, we like a bunch of defensive guys, unfortunately, at times, too. You know <laughs> He's been I mean? in his feelings about yeah, it. Yeah, you could tell He's it, right? Really you know? so, <laughs> and, and for this segment, we have our two-minute drill, dog. And that's when uh -oh. you and I, that's when you and I, you know, that's okay. when we vibe, you know, in the okay. two minutes. Let's drill. go. Let's go. We're going to try to score score a touchdown, and we're going to stop all these defensive haters that, that have been on this show as well who want to get a turnover, forces out on downs <laughs> or whatever. We're going to score a touchdown right here. Now, most defensive guys don't care about timeouts. But since we're both offensive guys, I'm giving us both one timeout for this two minute drill. That that cool with you, Big Seth? I know you. I know you represent the Jason Taylor Foundation, and you guys don't want any timeout. We're trying to get off the field over here. But no, you yeah, can have your timeout. Femi, here we, you ready? Here we go. 
clearly you and your brother are intelligent guys, and both of you have your master's degrees. But which I'm a day Joe brother. I got it. Was a better student growing up. Me, ah, definitely. right away. Not even <laughs> a question. He'll say well, that. well, tell me, explain that a little bit. So why is why is there why is that an easy answer? I mean, wow, I don't even know where to start. Honestly, it's not even a question. I always enjoyed school and I always took it seriously. He he was always intelligent, but I don't think he enjoyed school. He liked to be a joker and a class clown once in a while. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Wearing his bacon and eggs pajamas to school. You know what I mean? Like that's the stuff he would do. Well, I'm trying to get straight. I'm trying to get A's. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be like class valedictorian or something. You know, I, that's right, I just, right. everything's a competition for me. And and, I, and and my brother, I think, is a little more easygoing when it comes to certain things. So I took school very seriously. He took school very seriously later, but early on, hands down, your boy's got it. All you got it, got it. Got Not it. surprised. I think that answers the next question. Too, so I'm yeah, I think it does. One more. Yeah, we know who got in more trouble growing up just by hearing that. Him. So I'm going to skip to this one. Him. You played under Denny Green on three separate occasions. We talked about him a lot already in this interview. You played for him uh, in Minnesota and Arizona and with the California Redwoods. What is one piece of advice or saying that you will never forget that he left you with? I mean, do I need to say it? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? They are who we thought they were. That yeah, money, buddy. Lost to the Bears, and my brother was on that team. Isn't that crazy? Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, I remember the thing that stands out for me is I felt bad that we let that get away, and I felt bad because Denny told us everything he said that week came true and that we'd be in a position to win and that we, we were going to be the better team that night. And that we, we let him we let him off the hook. We let it get away. And when Denny had that press conference and he smacked the microphone, to this day, I hear little kids saying that. I'm like, how does this little kid know this right. saying? Yeah. That is outstanding stuff. By the way, even though you guys rode me on this, I was the coach that ran down the sidelines. I've already called timeout for you. So I stopped the clock, so we're okay mm. on time. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> good to go. Good to go. All right, let's keep it rolling then, man. All right. Here, here's a good one right here. You and your brother finished first and third in special teams tackles for the Dolphins in 2003. Do you remember who was first, and do you remember how many tackles each of you had? So, OJ, let me let me pro- pro- provide a little context, okay? I know for a fact I led in total special teams points. I know that for a fact. I was number one because my brother ended up getting taken off of a couple special teams. He, he may not re- remember that or remind you of it. So I ended up with more points. I don't know if I ended up with more tackles. And since he ended up being a three-time pro bowler, I'm going to say he probably had more tackles. And I had I was probably third, but I wish I was first. But was he first and I was third? That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, though. You guys were close but, in solo but, but tackles. points mean though. a lot, though, because it's, it's all-encompassing. Well, Keith, tackles, Keith right? had a whole – Keith is one of the best special teams coaches <laughs> I've ever had. One, two, three, take the ground that belongs to me. Four, five, six, you know, turn, revert. He had all these little things he would say. I still remember them. They're in my brain. You know what, I want to ask you that since we're, since we got the timeout and everything, how much of those things do you take into life now, man? Some of those things you hear from Danny Green, some of those things you hear from Keith Armstrong, because all that stuff kind of relates to real life at times, no? Absolutely. I think, uh, like I said, when I when I was using the big words, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying mayonnaise, that like- The mayonnaise. Yeah, right, exactly. For me, you know, I think that football is a microcosm of real life. Football lessons and apply it to anything and that shit fits, always. I, I think no matter Agreed. what, you, you talked about it before, you know, carry your own water, which means do, do, your, job. do your job. He's going to do his job. If we all do our job, we're going to be fucking successful, yep. bro. Well, if we're doing our jobs, we need to score here in this two-minute drill. It's become a six-minute drill, but it's okay, Juice. So here's the last question for you, Femi. What was more difficult, taking on a linebacker in the A-gap, oh, covering wow. the kickoff, or developing technology with NASA? 
I probably de developing technology the hardest because I didn't know what I was getting into. I've been playing football my whole life and I know the pain that comes with it. And I accepted that a long time ago, you know, so the job requirement for, you know, covering a kick or, or blocking somebody in the hole or doing whatever you got to do, you know how to do that. I figured that out very early on, but technology, understanding AI and machine learning and, and regression and all the different mathematics and concepts that go into build not work. And then you got to test it. You got to market it. You got to sell it. Hey, there's nothing harder in my opinion. The hardest thing I'm doing is what I'm doing right now. It really is. But it's, but, but I love it. I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Well, there you go. That's your two minute drill. I don't know that I can clean that up in two minutes. I might have to give you three timeouts. We'll retroactively figure it all out, but great, great stuff. Femi Ayambadejo, man, your brother was awesome, but you you know, I think we're gonna have to let the people decide which one of you guys gave the better show because these were both incredible. You know, and, and Femi, one thing that I really loved, and Seth and I talked about before we even recorded the last few weeks, actually, was how intelligent ball players like yourself your brother, like Aiken are, man, because people think that, you know, we're a bunch of dumbass athletes to go out there and just run through brick walls and do nothing. To have you, your brother and, and Aiken and all the, even some of the, the current guys, you know, Jalen Phillips, and the intelligence level that it takes to be a professional athlete, a professional football player is understated, man. It really is because it, there's so much that goes on. We had our fullback on Alec Engel and Mike McDaniel, you talked about, he puts in 100 plays a week. I love I love having players, brothers that can talk about the intellect of everything, not just football, but life. You know what I mean? So the people that listen to our show, they don't think of us as just dumbass jocks getting paid to play a damn sport. They don't get how smart you have to be, how, how, how tough you have to be mentally and physically to play in this game that they call a game we call life. I'm a, I just want to say this. And please, whatever you cut, don't cut this part because this is this is going to be this is something that that OJ just inspired in me, and I carry it with me quite a bit. And sometimes it, it comes out organically. I'm an ambassador. I I'm, I represent the league. I represent my family, and I take pride in being a professional athlete that many people have ever met. And I want them to take me seriously. I know I want them to know that I'm thoughtful. I want them to know that I'm intelligent. And it doesn't matter if it's catching a football running through some D linemen on third and one, if it's speaking to kids at a hospital or giving a speech to M&T bank executives about trauma uh, and fitness and, and health and wellness, which I've done all the above or, or signing a, a partnership with NASA. When I, when I talk to people, I'm representing OJ. I'm representing my brother. I'm representing every guy that came before me and every guy that will come after me. And I don't ever want them to put us in a box. I will never, ever, ever accept being put in a box. I will never let anyone question my, my character, my integrity, ever. That Knowing that I'm not perfect, I'm going to make mistakes, but that I will apologize, I will acknowledge them, and I will never settle for something below the standard of the people that have helped pave the way for me. Like that, I think of time. And so when I see people getting frustrated when somebody bothers them, now you should never approach any celebrity, and I'm not a celebrity, by the way, I'm a former professional athlete, but you should never invade someone's privacy when they're with their family. And if someone does, you should still have grace with those people and say, hey, ma'am, sir, like this isn't the time, but maybe when I get done, I can help you out. I never want a person to walk away thinking that, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a former athlete. He thinks he's special or he doesn't have time. He's too cool. So I try to balance privacy, respect, and boundaries by also recognizing that sometimes people are just excited and where they're coming from is a good place. Even though, even if they didn't handle it the right way, their intent is good. And the way you respond on your intent or your response should also be good. 
And I try to do that all the time. And, and that's a that's a macro and a micro thing. Yeah. So don't cut that, Seth. Don't cut that part. <laughs> no, nah, there's no need to cut that. That's good stuff. You're asking me not to cut it. You checked all the boxes, all the things that are your goals. Every time you meet somebody, you checked all the boxes here in this interview. So I appreciate your time that you spent with us. I appreciate hearing, learning more about your story. Really cool to connect back with you. I hope that we can stay connected. And for sure. Again, just, you know, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. Hey, Femi, thanks for diving in, man. Bye, guys. Peace. Peace. <laughs> You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank.